Welcome to Building a Greener Idaho here on Radio Boise. I'm your co-host, Charlie Woodruff. Building a Greener Idaho is a weekly talk show program every Tuesday at 3 p.m. where we discuss trends in sustainability and community development with guests from the Treasure Valley and beyond. Thanks for tuning in to Building a Greener Idaho. Welcome to Building a Greener Idaho here on Radio Boise. I'm your co-host, Charlie Woodruff. Our theme this month is clean air. From newborns to the elderly, air quality issues affect everyone in our communities. So this month, we're exploring topics that affect the air we breathe, including our energy sources, development patterns, vehicle emissions, and the Idaho legislature. Today, I'm speaking with Rhea Lynn Flores, the Legislative Associate for Conservation Voters for Idaho. She works to pass and defend critical environmental laws and budget priorities and develops and implements legislative strategies that protect and advance policy agenda as well as political accountability objectives. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Why does Conservation Voters for Idaho think air quality is an important issue to advocate for? Well, Conservation Voters for Idaho really is an organization that tries to shape a political environment that protects our natural environment. And it's really all about protecting our quality of life here in Idaho. Um, it's We know that folks live here because um, they love to live, work, and raise their family with clean air, clean water, access to wild places. Um, and it's definitely important that we set an apology a policy agenda and are at the state house to make sure that we hold elected officials accountable and see what we can do to, to pass um, pragmatic, important policies that protect those things here in Idaho. So what's your background? How long have you been doing this uh, legislative work? I got the opportunity to join the team in January of last year um, and really sort of, it was three weeks into the legislative session, you know, kind of getting to know everyone, building important relationships. And and then this year I really got to go in and uh, really talk about important policy priorities. Um, what can we do working together with both the Senate and the House, Republicans and Democrats, um, to see what we can do to make sure that we protect sort of um, important things, both around air, um, clean water, and of course, public land. So. so are these issues partisan issues in your mind? No, absolutely not. And it's actually, I don't think it's in the mind of most Idahoans. I would say it's a fairly easy conversation to have with voters either out in Salmon or in Twin Falls or up in Sandpoint that the reason why they live here is what they want healthy, thriving communities. Um, and it's a special place. And, and, and our quality of life is very important. And so, you know, most people would say that they care about clean water and, you know, they care about the air that they breathe um, and the special landscapes that really give them the opportunity to drop a line in the river, you know, on lunch or go grab, you know, a mountain bike and hit the trails after work, um, teaching their kids how, to, you know, you know, some personal fortitude when they climb their first peak. So I think it's an inherent value and it's definitely not a partisan one. And we approach it in a very nonpartisan way. Um, it's it's about common sense policies that benefits people's lives, but also protect our resources and landscapes for future generations. So in the 2017 session, a couple issues came up. Let's dive into those a little bit. One was about uh, crop residue burning. Tell us the kind of story of how that bill came about and uh, where it ended up in this legislative session. Right. So crop residue burning actually came up quite a bit a while ago. It was an issue that started in northern Idaho. Um, you had seen a lot of, you know, it's something that the agricultural community uses um, to raise their crops. And sometimes it, it's a soil treatment as well. 
Um, but the challenge is, is that there's some uh, special populations, particularly around the youth and elderly, that can be vulnerable to the to the particulate matter that gets put up into the air when when farmers go to burn their crops. So there was an, a you know a negotiation where um, farmers actually call into the Department of Environmental Quality to figure out what are the best days to burn their fields so that they make sure that the wind conditions are right that are based upon standards, the ozone and the particulate matter um, that make sure that you know. Public health is protected, um, while also giving opportunities for the agricultural community to, to leverage this tactic. Um, and and there was some challenges, and they set some some standards. And out of those, the challenges that happened back in 2011, they created a crop residue burning um, advisory committee. And this is sort of you know the model here in Idaho. We try to bring everyone together, all the different stakeholders, to really kind of work it out. And it had both the environment. Uh, Department of Environmental Quality, it had farmers, it had folks representing the um, public health sector, it had folks from the conservation environmental community to really talk about, all right, you know, let's all understand each other and, and what's, what's, what's at risk and, and how do we negotiate the standards. Um, and then there's been some negotiated rulemaking recently. And part of that process is that it's actually kind of unique and a little wonky, um, that this is the statute around the standards already, already exists within Idaho Code. So the Department of Environmental Quality to change the standard first has to go in and change um, the statute, and then they're going to do a promulgated rule process. Um, but in that, um, in the, what the advisory board kind of sat down and they were talking around, you know, if you're going to lower the standard for ozone, which is actually, a, a, you know, something that the EPA is looking at and believes it has a higher impact on public health than originally thought. Lower meaning make it more strict on um, ozone? Lowering it, which means it would allow more days for burning. Allow more right. Day. Okay. So, so if they lower the standard, that means there would be more days available for farmers to burn their crops. Um, that the other folks, the other stakeholders in that group were working with the farmers to say, well, if you're going to lower the ozone level, let's raise the parts, the particulate matter. So there's two things when it comes to air quality and public health when it comes to crop residue. It's particulate matter in the air and also the ozone level. And so they're saying, if we're going to lower the ozone one, let's raise the particulate matter one so that at least we have a balance. Um, and there was consensus building amongst the, the farmers and the public health folks that okay this is a path forward we we can negotiate right this is how this is how it's made sometimes um this is how the sausage is made i think that's a favorite <laughs> saying at the state house um and and then unfortunately the department of environmental quality didn't actually um adhere to the recommendations from the advisory committee and just submitted um pushed forward legislation this year that only lowered the the ozone um, level and didn't actually address the parts particulate matter. And, you know, there was some conversation that said they don't believe there's enough sound science around the challenge around part, you know, particulate matter in the air, even though we know there's quite a bit of rigorous studies out there. Um, and so it was one that we went in fairly early to communicate with legislators. It's, it's not around, you know, the, the conservation community against, uh, you know, the agricultural community. I mean, we work together all the time. We have to. Um, it's around them sort of ignoring the, the hard work that this advisory committee had done and finding consensus and also sort of ignoring um, the the science that's out there. And they're, they're number one, they're supposed to be Department of Environmental Quality exists to protect public health. So this is sort of their role. And it's interesting that they would move forward without 
um, you know, leveraging the science that's there. So you stated that the Department of Environmental Quality proposed um, what the committee did not come up with, and but you also referred to the, the agricultural community as well. So was it the agricultural community working with DEQ to kind of come up with their own thing outside of the, what the committee had decided? I um, just want to clarify kind of how that rule went forward or that suggestion to the legislature. Well, it was definitely led by the Department of Environmental Quality, but you know, once you start getting outside of the collaborative process, was there opportunity for the agricultural community to pass something? I mean, of course, they're going to show up when the bill is in front of the different committees and say, hey, I support this because this provides more days of burning for our crops. And and I know we're talking policy and some of the different levels. To really put it into context, this bill actually when you do all the math, says they might have four more days hmm. of additional burning it's not at a the of risk days. of public health. Like, uh, yeah, without the science of understanding if you lower the ozone and you're not increasing the part particular standard, like what does that actually look like for um, when they're burning around schools or, you know, nursing homes where you see vulnerable populations that, you know, have risk, uh, you know, pulmonary risk and, and, you know, asthma and all of that. So, um, Very interesting. It, it and unfortunately, you know, it, it did pass both the House and the Senate, um, but it's something that we continue to find ways that we can communicate with the Department of Environmental Quality, and it's and it's again trying to hold them to the standard that if you're going to convene an advisory committee, if you're going to bring all the stakeholders together, why don't we listen to some of the things that are coming out of it um, instead of undermining that process? Because then it makes it more challenging. It makes it more adversarial when we obviously there's a path forward when we can work together. Does that committee have a future, do you think, or, or is it going to be put on hiatus <laughs> there for a little while? Um, actually, it's interesting. They're, they are accepting applications because mm -hmm. there were quite a few people. That was the other sort of side story is that there were quite a few people who resigned. They sent in their resignation um, to the director of Department of Environmental Quality over this issue because of the frustration. So I know there are some um, open spots on that. I know they're looking for individuals to fill that, but um, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very interesting um, topic there about uh, our agricultural pro processes and how policy was made in the sausage uh, factory. Um, <laughs> let's let's go into coal rolling. This is something that uh, perhaps some of our listeners are not too familiar with. Um, tell us what coal rolling is, first of all, to define it. Right. Um, it was actually really interesting. This bill was brought by Senator Michelle Stennett out of District 26. That's the Wood River Valley. Um, and it really is this. And she actually had to use a video during the presentation of this legislation during uh, the committee hearing to demonstrate what coal rolling is. And we don't have that benefit over the radio. So I'll do my best. Um, coal rolling. Sound effects. <laughs> coal rolling is the practice where you modify a diesel vehicle to the amount of fuel that's entering the engine so that you can actually visibly shoot soot and uh, black smoke um, into the air. And you've probably seen this, you know, large, large diesel trucks. They've got those stacks in the back of the beds. Um, and it's a, a practice that is, is used sometimes um, around pedestrians, cyclists. You know, it's sometimes known for, you know, large trucks to, like, spray soot on the Prius behind them. <laughs> so a, a mini protest of sort. <laughs> an act of aggression towards right. air quality. Right, or, right. Or and it's actually because they physically modify their vehicle to do this. And they put switches inside so that they can, you know, go the smokestacks whenever they want. <laughs> Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Good background there. Um, um, and so there was this, you know, it's public safety. 
Also, air pollution. I mean, it does put out a large amount of soot and smoke and fuel into the air. And so um, there are uh, precedents where other states have started banning this practice um, and creating fines. So it would be um, within the right of the local authority to pull you over if they saw you, you know, purposefully emitting smoke into the air and fining you um, for the modification of your vehicle because, again, the air pollution and pedestrian safety. How many safety. states? Do you have any idea? A few others? Um, yeah, there's quite a few. I know... Um, Oh, uh, New Jersey has oh, Chris Christie actually signed it. So, again, bipartisan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you've also got folks um, in uh, Colorado and Maryland as well. Um, it sort of just started in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the EPA sort of came out saying that there is concern that coal rolling actually violates the Clean Air Act. Yeah. Um, and so now that they've had that. Um, finding now state legislators are trying to find state legislatures across the country are finding ways that they can ban this practice. Well, those of us who have to go get our emissions tested kind of know that uh, maybe this doesn't right. fit into that, <laughs> that, that emissions standard right, right. Um, that DEQ enforces. So very interesting. So what happened with that bill, with Michelle's bill? Um, it actually had to, it came back and forth. There was two iterations of it in um, the how the Senate trans. It started in the Senate in the Senate Transportation Committee. Um, there was original some pushback. They were just um, concerned around in Idaho that we've got a, again a large agricultural community that uses diesel trucks. Um, that there was a clear definition of what was an abundant amount of soot and smoke in the air, and that it wouldn't just be your old you know Ford truck pulling after. Like stopped at a stoplight pulling a trailer, right. that that would not count. Right. Um, so she, they brought the bill back through the committee and made some um, changes that way. And then it got to the Senate floor, and there was interestingly a, a robust um, uh, debate over it, and it died by two two votes. Mm, so interesting. it's it's an important one, and it was the first year that it was brought, and we we're seeing other ways that they're bringing it to the to some other states again, some um, Republican held states, Republican majority states. So I think there is still a path forward for it. And I think most people get it right. Nobody wants to be standing on, you know, on the corner for their morning hike or their morning walk with their family and get this blast of smoke in their face. And and it is an intentional um, modification to a vehicle that, you know, can be prevented. It's kind of uh, like the opposite of being a good neighbor. Um, (laughs) But interesting, interesting issue and how that played out. I think now's a good time to take a short break. Come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the legislature in general, Mm -hmm. what's coming up maybe in 2018. We've got some statewide races as well, some uh, city races here in 2017. So we'll talk more about that when we come back after a short break. I've been speaking with Rialyn Flores. She is the legislative associate for the Conservation Voters of Idaho. You're listening to Building a Greener Idaho. Thank you for tuning in.
Welcome back to Building a Greener Idaho here on Radio Boise. I'm your co-host, Charlie Woodruff. Today I'm speaking with Rialyn Flores, the legislative associate for the Conservation Voters for Idaho, out there advocating for clean air, which is our theme this month. Uh, we were just talking about a couple of bills that came to the legislature in the 2017 session. Now I would like to get into a little bit about CVI's work and the dynamics in the legislature and what's coming up in the future. Let's take a look at your overall work. Is it a lot of defense work? Is it a lot of proactive policy work? And what's the mix there? I think it's both, maybe more one than the other. Um, Of course, when it comes to conservation policy, you know, in the past, it's traditionally been around making sure that we can demonstrate robust and swift defense for any policies that would harm our clean air, um, clean water, public lands, clean energy, all of those things. Um, And so we've we've done that work for quite a while. And we do that work in, in a really interesting way. It's not about me standing in front of the legislature and saying, hey, you know, real and Flores of Conservation Voters for Idaho says you shouldn't do it, so don't do it. It's a really around connecting voters across the state. They're constituents who look like them, who live in the same communities, who understand the economy that back home, um, really speaking up and voicing their values around these issues um, and, and having those conversations, whether it's over their phone, meeting with them one-on-one, um, having relationships with them outside of the legislat- legislative session, you know, back home meeting them and saying, hey, you took this vote. Let, tell me more about that. Um, and then, you know, of course, emails and turnout events. So we really try to mobilize Idahoans who care about these issues. And they are across the state. It's not just here in Boise. Um, and make sure that they have a voice at the state house, and that, and that the legislators are hearing from them directly during the legislative session and throughout. So so it's legislative, grassroots legislative advocacy 101 or engagement 101. Very cool. Are you finding that... Um, a lot of folks across the state are more fired up these days, more interested in doing those those kinds of uh, getting involved in, in poli- politics and policy, um, given our per- current political climate. Yeah, no, it, it is a particularly interesting time to do this work. I will say... Um, we saw this last legislative session. I mean, of course, we did the the regular defensive work, and we actually did pivot into introducing some positive, proactive policies to see where there's room for that and who's our partners and, and how we can advance good policy and, and protections. Um, but the 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 third factor um, was this power of people that was really interesting. Um, we know we saw the um, K through twelve science education standards get altered in the House Education Committee, where they struck um, five standards that dealt with climate change and the human impact on the environment. And when it came to the Senate Education Committee to hear this. Um, they packed in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day, packed the largest committee room, over 300 people, um, just to hear. There was no public testimony. It was just to hear these standards and see how they were going to vote. And the Senate Education Committee, I think, were a little taken back by the amount of folks that were in the room. And instead of immediately like rubber stamping and approving the striking through of those standards, took a really thoughtful pause and um had a conversation with their with their colleagues across the rotunda around like why why were these specific ones taken out and um, what was the intent and and how can we move forward making sure that it's important to provide our students with the most robust education we can to prepare them for the future and future jobs. Um, it's you know because of the way that the rule was it passed because it was a temporary rule but they are going the state department of education is promulgating that rule again this summer and bringing in more public input and those will return mm-hmm. intact mm-hmm. next year but it was because the people that showed up right yeah and they made them think and then immediately after that there was um, 
just an informational hearing on climate change and the impacts of climate change in Idaho that was headed up by Representative um, Atlanta Rubel um, that had organized, you know, just no public testimony, no bill. And we there was 650 people who showed up on a Wednesday afternoon that not only packed that largest committee room, but three additional overflow rooms and signing petitions and saying, what can we do next? And um, and then in, in other issues, I mean, we saw the public lands rally on March 4th, which was Idaho Day, um, brought over 3,000 Idahoans to the state house on a Saturday when it was kind of rainy. <laughs> it was a little up in the air. Folks are going to show up because yeah. there's been all of the marches going on. Um, and it was such a diverse crowd. You know, you saw folks wearing orange and camo and you saw the folks and they're kayaking and mountain biking gear and the bird watchers and the hikers and the yeah. wildlife lovers. And so I think this environment of people who are paying attention and understanding that policy that is vetted and voted on by their elected officials have real impact in yeah. their lives. And where things may be a little ambiguous or feel chaotic or up in the air at the federal level, they're going to hold the line here at home. Yeah. Right. They're going to yeah. show up and pay attention and start voicing their values and, and, and what they think about both elected officials and policy. So we've seen a lot of on the, um, the national level, some of our, our congressmen um, having town halls and mm -hmm. things like that and, and a lot of robust conversations. Uh, maybe that's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> um, uh, people sharing their opinions at those town halls. Um, now, on the, on the state level, some of these state legislators, we talked a little bit about you know what happened in Boise and in the legislative session at home in their districts. Are any of these legislators having town halls? And are we seeing any turnout of these types of um, real robust turnouts and, and conversations and people sharing their opinions on the state level? Absolutely. I can, I can think of a few. I know the legislators out of District 9, that would be Representative Judy Boyle, Ryan Kirby, and Senator Abby Lee, held a town hall. It was during session, um, but it was one that they normally hold outside of, but it was like the flooding issues going on. They had to figure out what was the right time for their constituents to turn out. Um, and that one, they had an all day from like Midvale, Council, Fruitland Notice. They just did a sort of a roadshow. And every single one of those, there were folks who were there to talk about public land specifically on that one. Hmm. But like showing up and being like, no, like at home, this matters. This is what these places mean to us. Um, and I would say it, you're getting thoughtful dialogue. I mean, we're seeing some of the videos that are going on around these large town halls around some of the uh, uh, congressional uh, folks that seem a little bit more um, polarized. Yeah, a little <laughs> more conflict. <Yeah. laughs> you can't really hear. No one's getting a lot of edge word either way. But um, I think I saw some more back and forth dialogue there where um, something that I will say is unique about Idaho, the Idaho legislature, is that they are more accessible than most elected officials are in other states. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, once people know that they can actually call and set up a meeting and go down to the state house and actually sit down across the desk and talk to their elected official about what matters. And now they can also do that at home. I know Representative Malik and uh, Representative Amador did that in northern Idaho as well. And I know most folks you know, we'll be holding those townhomes. One, I think it's because they see more people wanting to have a voice and connect with them so that they're not filling up their voicemails or their inboxes and mm -hmm. their email that they're going to actually have these conversations at home. But two, of course, they kind of have to get out there because yeah. there's a primary coming up <laughs> next May. <laughs> Which is a great pivot. So we have some races coming up in 2018. Um, 
we also have some local races. But let's talk about kind of the general concept of CVI's work to hold legislators accountable. Maybe who you see a record of somebody who is not voting the right way, or at least um, CVI's perspective of the right way on on conservation issues such as air quality. What does that What does that process entail in terms of holding them accountable and engaging their constituents and home when their election does come up the next round? Right. So, well, since we do try to create the political environment that protects the natural environment, we do engage in a lot of electoral work. But I will say outside of the the politics for now, um, we do accountability work all the time, whether it's an election year or not. So it's actually part of that grassroots mobilization. The ability to get people to understand how policy really does affect their lives is actually letting them know how their local local elected officials are voting, right? Mm -hmm. Like they can't make... um, a sound decision when it, at the ballot box if they hold these values around clean air and clean water and protecting our wild places and they don't actually know what the voting record is of right. their uh, elected officials. So we actually are spending some time right now where we're going into districts, both knocking on doors and, and calling uh, voters on the phone, um, send, you know, going to have some radio ads and, and, and sending out um, some more information around what votes, you know, because we've 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 spoken to these people. We know where their values are. And so it's just sort of an education transparency, mm-hmm. really, around what's going on in the in the halls of the state house at Boise. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, making sure that they have options when it comes to election day. So part of pairing that is also knowing that we're looking for champions on the, on, on the environment. And it is to run for office. To run for office yeah. at the city, county, uh, state legislative state legislative level, and that is both Republicans and Democrats. Because again, this issue is a nonpartisan issue, um, and and most Idahoans uh, value making sure that somebody who's representing them um, protects our quality of life. And so um, we there is a lot of opportunity coming up in 2018. I think it's going to be quite interesting. We saw quite a bit of that this week with folks filing for office. Um, there will be a lot of open seats. So yeah. so back to the accountability real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys still do a scorecard? We or? don't do a scorecard. I yeah. mean, we know the one group that does a scorecard in Idaho. Oh. Not the environmental group, right, of course. Right, I, right, they actually yeah. would say that they're not specifically an environmental or conservation group. But, I mean, there's more nuance around scorecards, to yeah. be honest. We've had this. It's not just that only because one group is doing it and it's being used in an interesting way that isn't really helpful, um, in my opinion. But it's that, you know, people can be champions of conservation by not it's not a strict vote, right? Yeah, like they can either little, right. caucus or they can introduce legislation or they can make sure that a bill does, you know, it's just, there's it interesting it down ways. too much. Yeah, it's, it you know, a black and white it. vote yeah. where, and there's some votes that aren't, you know, traced like a roll call vote. Right. If it's not a roll call vote, you can't actually have public record of it. So, so this, so this targeted mailing and door knocking and, and advocacy or t- talking to voters mm-hmm. in their districts is sort of that local scorecard, that more nuanced way of, of mm-hmm. transparency. Around and, the and values and the issues that we know that they care about, yeah, right? It's not us saying SB 1112, they voted twice against it yeah, on the floor right. and then, you know, one. So it's not right. our words, you know, or the policy details. It's really around educating them about what was possible. And if you care about education or you care about clean air or you care about quality of life or the economy, right. like here's some bills, here's the opportunity to educate them on. But here's also how your elected official voted on. How do you think they're doing representing you? Right. Letting them right. ask that question and figure it out. Right. Well, very interesting. Um, let's pivot to the elections. So we've got <laughs> some statewide elections coming up. Um, maybe per- perhaps 
some crowded uh, races uh, with candidates throwing their hat in. What does CVI plans in, involve uh, for those statewide races and any other races? How are you guys going to get involved in those? Well, we of course don't spill all of your tactics. Uh, no, of no, because <laughs> everybody is listening to this right now. <laughs> yes, everybody waiting to hear what we're doing. <laughs> um, we've got, uh, of course, we've got an endorsement process. So there's multiple ways that we engage in campaigns and elections. One is finding candidates for office, training them and and letting them go, um, do their thing, and and see what they can do to to win those um, seats. And then there's an endorsement, like making sure that. Um, a constituency knows who's the conservation champion when it comes to the choices on their ballot. Um, and the other way is we actually run some campaigns and elections, some independent expenditures around certain candidates um, to support them to make sure that um, they do win some seats. So we'll have an endorsement process that looks at all of the races and really has some certain criteria around, um, of course, you know where they are on our issues, you know how upfront do they want to be, is it a priority, um, and then we'll make some decisions from there. But there is there is a lot from coming up this November, of course, will be the um, city and county elections across the state um, that we're looking at to making sure that folks in cities are being held accountable. Because there's a lot that, um, you know, local cities and counties can do when it comes to conservation. We saw that here in Boise City with the with the live program, um, them being dedicated to being one of the greenest cities in the country. And we also see that with the Ada County Commission when issues come up around open space and the airstrip and the foothills. Mm -hmm. So there are ways where local governments really do interact with the issues um, that we engage in. And it's important that we find um, candidates that will stand up for those those issues and our values, um, but also looking at the, the a lot of work that will come up in May of 2018, which of course is the Republican primaries, um, and then of course the general elections next year. So yeah, yeah. Well, Rialyn, it's been great talking to you. We're just about out of time. Um, Thank you for standing up for clean air and um, for sharing uh, what your organization has been doing. Um, one prediction to to leave us with: Will air quality be an issue that that comes up in the twenty eighteen legislature? Um, I think it will. I think you'll seek the coal rolling one back. And of course, there's always opportunity around um, elections coming up for certain. Um, elected officials to come forward and really champion certain issues. So I think we will. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Building a Greener Idaho here on Radio Boise. We're on the web at buildingagreeneridaho.org. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Build Green Idaho. Let us know what you think. Share ideas for topics you'd like to hear about and see what we have coming up next week. Thanks for tuning in to Building a Greener Idaho.